Welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast, where we will pick up where we left off with Matthew Smith of Ever Athlete. In episode 48, Dr. Matt explained his approach to using breath work to speed recovery. In episode 49, we will take on the subject of avoiding injury by adopting certain training practices that lead to greater resilience and better performance. Dr. Matt says cross-training is the key for endurance athletes to pull them out of their repetitive stress patterns. Dr. Matt's approach has four parts. One, work the body into range of motion and muscular balance to enable proper movement patterns that are naturally stronger and more resilient to injury. Two, and once the body is in balance, continue to provide a cross-training stimulus like resistance training to keep the body in balance. Three, ensure the body has enough time to heal and adapt by periodizing workouts to ensure recovery and to get stronger over time. And lastly, do daily work with foam rollers, stretching, muscle activation to start the day, warm up for exercise, and cool down after exercise with an eye toward fast recovery. There is a ton of useful information here. All right, let's talk to Matthew. Okay, Dr. Matt, welcome back. Hey. We're on for part two. In part one of our session, we talked about breath work for recovery, and we're going to now get into what you guys do, you believe in, and what you do with your clients, possibly what you do with yourself in terms of injury prevention, which for the older athlete is a very big deal. Older athletes have had a lot of time in order to accumulate problems in their bodies, both from accidents or injuries, as well as being sedentary, working at behind a desk for a lot of years, people being in one sport for too long and not doing cross training. Plus, as we get older, we heal slower And so when we get an injury, it takes us out of the thing that really gives us joy for longer and longer. And we don't really like that. So I'm very excited to get your thoughts, you know, around what you think makes the most sense and maybe some advice that you can give to our audience here for things that they could do. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. Well, fabulous, Matt. Well, so tell us in general, then your approach to helping your clients avoid injuries. Our approach to injury prevention, particularly for, for a master's population, you know, takes on a, a few different heads. One is, you know, we, we all know about tissue work and stretching as a recovery tool. And so a lot of people leverage foam rolling, stretching, activation routines, using bands and, and different things, kind of like what you would see in a rehab setting. And we, we certainly believe in that as, as a helpful recovery tool. But you know, in my personal opinion, one of the most powerful injury prevention techniques that you can use, particularly for a master's population, particularly for a female master's population, is strength training and cross training. And so that's why we've really gotten deeper into the performance training aspect of what we do. Because I do believe that, you know, healthy exercise and healthy cross training that is well thought out and progressive over time can have a a dramatic impact on providing longevity and also working through, you know, previous injuries, whether they're from an acute injury, you know, if you, you know, crash on your bike or, or suffer an acute uh, scenario, or it's repetitive stress and chronic in nature, um, strength training can be, you know, very, very helpful way to, to address some of those things if it's done the right way. 
Yeah. I wonder if you could elaborate on that if done in the right way part. Because I guess anybody could just sign up and go to the gym and start lifting weights. Mm -hmm. Is that going to help? Uh, it depends on uh, what they're doing. I mean, that's a that's a you know a pretty broad topic. In in my opinion, what you know from the experience that we've had working with different athletes, you know, we use compound movements. We use we leverage movement patterns. So the way that we think about exercise and maintaining the body, regardless of what sport you're in, is to you know through cross training provide the body with practice working through different ranges of motion, different compound movements like a squat or a hinge pattern like a deadlift or a pull-up or a push-up. And so we, we use these different patterns and you know provide that as a stimulus for the body to adapt to over time. Yeah, I guess, um, I mean, I, I've spoken to a variety of uh, people like yourself that uh, do this for their clients. And some of the same words come up again and again, and whether it's a, a strength training person or it's a physical therapist, and I hear some of that from you as well. And so I'm trying to zero in on whether it really is the same thing. And, and so what, what I hear from other people is that before you can try to get strong, you have to be able to move properly. The reason that we might not be moving properly is that we've got compensations that have built up over time. You know, maybe it comes from sitting in a chair too much, or maybe it came from an injury from a long time ago, and we learned how to move slightly differently to avoid the pain. But then once the pain went away, we never stopped moving in that odd way. And so if we're moving improperly, then that is where chronic problems come from. And so if we were to then just try to get stronger using that improper movement pattern, then we might make problems worse because people are using the wrong muscles in order to move the weight. So am I saying something that is a part of what you guys do that you work on making sure people are moving properly before they move something heavy? Most definitely. I, I think that, you know, the foundation. So, so part of the reason why using cross-training strategies like strength training can be preventative for injuries is because it pulls athletes out of their repetitive stress patterns. And so we can leverage, you know, movement patterns like the squat or, you know, there's a variety of different things that you can use to give athletes a foundational way to build their body or, or, or kind of bring their body back to balance, pull themselves out of their normalized repetitive stress pattern. And then once they achieve competency in those movement patterns, you can start loading them. And so, you know, you can do a squat with no weight. And, and if your squat mechanics improve to the point where, you know, you, you can get quite a bit out of that. If you're a cyclist who, you know, say you take cyclists, if you're a cyclist and have ridden your bike for many years, you've spent a lot of time in a seated flexion position. So your hips are flexed, your mid-back is probably rounding into hyper, what's called hyperkyphosis. And you know, if you spend many years and many reps in that position, it can be detrimental to your body. And we see this a lot, especially in an older population of cyclists who have never done any cross training who have, you know, kind of adapted to the sport of cycling. 
And the problem with that is if you don't take your hips into full extension, so think standing all the way up through your hips, turning your glutes on, activating your core in a full standing position, that can be very problematic. Um, the way that the body works is, you know, the, the, the brain essentially has different software programs that it uses to activate different muscles and essentially activate different patterns throughout the body. And one of the problems with sitting too much is that we start to dampen those software programs. We, we get worse and worse at using them and leveraging our core in the right way to move. And so if you're a cyclist who's adapted to a, a cycling position, a seated position for a very long time, you're more exposed to suffering different injuries like, you know, lower back pain or, I mean, there's a variety of different things that, that can occur due to an adaptation like that. And, you know, what, what I'm trying to say is that you can leverage different patterns in the gym that drive more hip extension. So get the hips moving through their full range of motion. And in turn, if we're looking at the longevity of an athlete, the longevity of a human being, you know, if you can activate those patterns properly and break up that cycle of, you know, sitting for long hours on the bike, it can have a very positive impact, not just in a short cycle, not so not just in a, a singular season, but if we're looking at athletes over time, you know, over decades, that can have a huge, huge impact. And if you don't do that, if you if you avoid actually working through, you know, proper glute activation and, and postural control and these different things that can be replicated in a strength training environment, you leave yourself exposed to to a lot of chronic injuries. I'm starting to get it. It sounds like you're saying and I'm trying to bring this outside of the spotlight of what you guys do in your practice and move it to a general good advice for the older athlete who's wanting to, you know, maybe has some niggles here and there, pain creeps up once in a while. And what can they do to be healthier for longer? And so maybe there's some basic things, you know, like they need to be thinking in terms of posture that if they don't have good posture, and that's not hard to tell when, you know, look in the mirror maybe, but if they don't have good posture, and maybe we can define that here, then that's something to work on because that's a sign that some, some things are out of balance or out of whack, whether it's tight muscles or non-activated muscles or even just neuromuscularly the brain has stopped remembering what good posture feels like. So good posture would be one thing. And then another thing could be moving properly. So when somebody tries to do a squat with no weight, how does that look? Do they fall over? Can they not go down far enough? Anyway, maybe you can help me with those two things, posture and then being able to move the body properly when doing certain kinds of movements. So posture is, is an interesting topic. Posture is, um, it's a pretty dynamic term. We like to think of it in, you know, a static sense where we look at someone from a profile view and, you know, see if they're in good alignment, but as soon as they start moving, those things change. And so, you know, dynamic posture, dynamic movement is really what I pay attention to in my practice. So when I'm, you know, working with an athlete, uh, anytime I start working with a new athlete, whether they're a world champion or, you know, a, a novice amateur, we'll take them through an intake process where 
I'll, I'll take them through a variety of movement assessments. And essentially, we leverage these movement assessments to, to see how well they're able to control their body from a mobility perspective, core stability, overall strength, neuromotor control. There, there's a, a sequence of movements that I'll take them through, and it's you know quite a few different movements. But essentially, I'm, I'm looking, you know, I'll tell them to do a lunge pattern, and I'll evaluate how well can they maintain spinal control, lower body control, and fluidity throughout the lunge. And so I'll use these different markers, these different patterns to, to see exactly what's going on. And we can, you know, further relate that to how we would adapt a strength training program or an injury prevention program, mobility, whatever you'd like to call it, as a part of their overall game plan as an athlete. Could you give us some more detail on that? So somebody listening to this is in their den and they and they have a free spot on the carpet and they could get on the carpet, they could do this lunge and you could describe what should happen and what commonly doesn't happen properly that would require some remediation. I mean, is that possible? Could you do that? Yeah. I mean, so in a lunge pattern, so starting with two feet together, standing tall, stepping forward into what most people would commonly know as a lunge. So lowering the body down so that the back knee comes close to touching the floor and then stepping out of that position back to your initial starting position, your standing position. Um, a few things that we look for in a test like that um, would be torso control. So does your torso from, you know, you from the hips up, do you drop down or do you shift around excessively as you go through that movement? I didn't quite understand. Do you drop down or what? Does your torso drop down? Does it fall down towards your knee? Are you able to stay upright or do you drop down towards your knee? Uh, okay. So it's from the hips to the shoulders. Am I still upright or am I leaning forward? Correct. Correct. And what should I be doing? Ideally, you're staying fairly upright and stable. Okay. From a lower body perspective, you know, I look for shifting of the pelvis side to side. Are your are your hips? So if you're stepping forward with your right foot, are your hips shifting over to the right or are they staying centered? And so does that like a movement of the I mean, if your torso is sitting on top of your hips, so is your torso moving one side or the other, or are you talking about the hip tilting one side up or down? I mean, it could be either one. These are all the different things. So, I mean, this is difficult to describe on a podcast, the intricacies sure, of what sure. I'll look for in an assessment. But um, so, you know, it's, it's really, so I think starting with what we want, uh, what we'd want from a lunge pattern is for the torso to stay upright, the hips to stay stable, the foot, the front foot to point straight ahead, and for the knee to track right in line with the front foot. So think kneecap is in line with the second and third toe. That should be true in your lunge position. And then as you step back to that standing position, you should it should look fairly smooth and stable. Um, as soon as the knee, the front knee starts dropping inside the foot. So think, uh, you know, the kneecap doesn't stay in line with the second and third toe. It starts dropping to the inside of the big toe. Yeah, It's called valgus stress. And that you know, just shows, it just signifies that 
hip or foot stability or core stability is not happening in the way that it should, or there's a mobility issue. Um, and so there's a variety of different things that we can pull from a pattern like that. And usually it will lead to more breakout tests that, that we'll go through. So, right. you know, if, if we start seeing problems in, in the way that, that someone is executing a test like that, we can start looking at things like, hey, uh, do they struggle with hip mobility? Do they struggle with ankle mobility? Do they struggle with lumbopelvic stability? So lower back and pelvic stability, really core stability. Restrictions in those areas, deficiencies in those areas can lead to a messy pattern in a lunge pattern. Um, and so when we look at the lunge, it, it can give us some details as to whether, you know, how a person is moving or, or what their body's like. But usually we need to take it a step further into these different breakout tests to really see, you know, a little bit deeper of what exactly is causing uh, a problematic movement pattern. Sure, sure. That's very helpful. Uh, if somebody does this and they they see that they're a bit messy, then mm -hmm. it'll be hard for us to give them some recommendation here. But they would know that this is the sort of thing that would lead to like overuse type pain because the body is putting stress in places where it's not really designed for. And if you just do it over and over and over again, like uh, pedaling a bicycle, then that's why you get these things that can be called overuse. Is that right? Well, I think that, you know, if we're looking for take homes for the listeners, yeah. the big take home is that, you know, if you're experiencing issues on the bike, so say you're running into some knee pain or some lower back pain, or, or you know, you, you take your pick, or you're just not performing at the level that you think you should be, whether you're not, you know, succeeding in, you know, having high power output, um, or just not performing in races quite the way that you would want. One of the causes of that could be an underlying movement uh, deficiency or problem. And so I think the big take home is there are a lot of different professionals. I'm not the only one who, you know, whether it's a physical therapist, sports chiropractor, a high level strength coach, you know, there's a ton of different professionals that can evaluate your movement in a variety of ways and give you a better idea of, you know, how you could specifically work to improve your overall movement patterns and possibly improve your efficiency, positioning, and performance on the bike. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so the, if they've already got sort of chronic pain or recurring injuries, the same mm -hmm. kind of injury again and again, then this sort of a improper movement could underlie that. Oh, yeah. I think you're saying. Almost uh, certainly. Even if they don't have chronic pain or recurring pain slash injury, if their movements are odd, it, you know, I mean, if they, they themselves notice that, you know, yeah, my knee swings out when I do this, or it swings in when I do that, or, you know, I'm not very stable when I move a certain way, then that might just be a matter of time before that results in some sort of pain and probably would result in some sort of lack of performance. Mm -hmm. If they're moving improperly, they're certainly not using the muscles the way that they're optimally used. So for people who find that they have these issues, this sort of mobility, whether it's testing or on themselves or through a, a professional like yourself is a good idea. Yeah, I think, you know, a poor indicator of whether or not you have a problem is pain. 
pain is not a reliable source of information. It, it, it definitely, you know, helps us know that there's a problem, but it doesn't necessarily tell us what the problem is. Right. And so you could easily have some elbow pain. So say you're a swimmer, I work with quite a few swimmers. If you're a swimmer and you're experiencing lateral or medial epicondylitis, so pain on the inside of the outside of your elbow, many times that can be due to poor mobility or stability of the shoulder complex that's leading to downstream problems and overworking occurring around the elbow. And so, you know, this is where the, the, the source of pain, the location of pain is a poor indicator of what the issue is. So a lot of times really fixing that pain takes actually working in a different zone in a different area. Um, and, and so that's where these movement tests can be quite helpful is they start to unlock, they don't rely quite as much on pain as the notice of where to go with, uh, you know, interventions. It's more so about, you know, the fundamental patterns that you are utilizing for movement. Right. And then the second piece to that is chronic injuries. So say, take like Achilles tendonitis. Achilles tendonitis doesn't come out of nowhere. And so oftentimes, you know, we, we will operate using different patterns or we'll have issues with, you know, mobility or stability for, for a long time and repeat the same patterns before we actually run into any issues. And so if we can capture those problems, those fundamental problems before we actually run into pain, that's true injury prevention. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I mean, often people aren't seeking help until they have pain. Correct. But that is exactly why I do what I do. And that is exactly why we've launched all these different strength training programs is to help with movement patterns before people like what, one of my thoughts, which is, is fairly common throughout the industry is that if you implement healthy movement strategies that will attack mobility problems, attack core stability problems before people have pain. And if athletes can make that a repetitive piece of their process, a repetitive practice of theirs, a lot of times we can be effective at, I mean, we don't know about the injuries that we don't have, but in terms of maintaining longevity and performance without pain, that's the premise behind strength training, cross training, all of the programs that we put out is taking some of the lessons that we've learned from, you know, doing injury care, working with athletes through rehab and then progressing them through performance training from rehab. You know, we've done this with, with many different athletes and, and we've taken a lot of those lessons and, and plugged them into the programs that we offer on our site. I'm going to throw a new thing in here. I'd heard in the past that overuse injury is not a real thing, but I have heard it referred to by uh, professionals. And so I think that what that is, is if you're moving properly, then just moving a lot properly is not going to cause the overuse. It's when you're moving improperly and moving a lot that you end up with this, you know, quote unquote, overuse. And so this problem with the elbow of the swimmer you were referring to is not because they're swimming too much. It didn't sound like, it sounds like because they had some issue in the movement of the shoulder, it created an improper movement at the elbow. And then doing that a lot of times resulted in some pain. Did I understand that right? That can be the case. Sure. Yeah. What is your position on, can you get overuse injuries when you're moving properly? Yes, <laughs> most definitely. I think uh, part of the premise behind 
you know, cross training and uh, careful modulation of training load. And, you know, these different things are that overuse injuries or chronic stress injuries can come about when the training load or the demands on our system overwhelms what we're ready for. And so if we're not progressive in the way, so even if you had, so say you took up running tomorrow. Yeah. I don't know if you yeah. run currently. No. Let's say you decided that you were going to run 25 miles for your first run. Even if you had perfect running form, you would probably run into a major issue somewhere along those 25 miles. Yeah. If I started ramping up too quickly, I would have a problem because the, the tissues would not have had time to adapt. Correct. I could get a quote unquote overuse injury. But for a person who is, say, used to running a lot, they've been running a lot and they're not changing the amount that they're running. They just run a lot. And the old thought was, oh, well, that's just, that person just ran too much for too many years and they wore themselves out. Is that a real thing in your experience? Given an activity like running, yeah. there's a certain expense there, right? There is for many years of using the body in a certain way. We're, we're all breaking down uh, over time, right? We, we all are aging and experiencing the effects of that aging. There are ways that you can create longevity to the health of your body. And I think variety of activity is one of the, the, the most effective ways. Okay. So that's, that's really what I've been in terms of cross training. I think that that's really it, with the reference point of someone who, who has been a runner for many years. Yeah. If we think about what it would mean for them to have run so much that they, their body starts breaking down. I think the primary ways that I would go about, so say, hey, we could travel back in time and talk to this person 20 years earlier before they got to the point where they were totally you know, broken down. A few of the pieces of advice that I would give them would be, one, mix up your training. Don't stop running, but mix up your training so that you're giving your body a variety of, of stimuli. One of the ways that you can do that is through cross training because that will force your body to adapt to things other than running, right? So running has specific demands. Okay. Cross training is a way to bring the body back to balance from those demands and allow you to move in a more natural way. Because we, when we adapt to sport, we're, be, we're progressively becoming, uh, I think, less like our natural state. And as we adapt more and more, we run into this amplification of what the sport forces us to adapt to. And if we can break that up a little bit through providing ourselves with different patterns um, of you know movement patterns, strength training patterns, all these different things, it can be quite helpful in terms of you know reducing the likelihood that we'll get a, a chronic stress injury by breaking up the cycle of repetition. The second thing, you know, that I think is really important for, for athletes long-term is to periodize. And so if you're, if you're not properly undulating your aerobic training and your strength training, so having, you know, a buildup process, a peak, and then a recovery period, if you do not recover properly from a macro level, from a seasonal level, but also from, you know, a weekly or daily level, that, that can certainly lead to expediting the breakdown of an athlete from 
you know, doing many years of running. And so those are, those are the two, two pieces that I would, I would really get into with that person. And if it's a master's athlete who doesn't have the luxury of going back in time and, you know, making these changes, you can still have a positive effect from implementing these things. Now you can still have a positive effect of, uh, you know, implementing periodization of training. So that build up the peak, the recovery period where you allow your body to, to rest, recover and, and get ready for another buildup. And you can also implement, you know, daily strategies of cross training and recovery work to, you know, restore tissue mobility, re- restore core stability, improve motor control. All these different things can, can lead to less compensatory patterns and overall improved movement, particularly for athletes that do the same motion over and over and over. All right. So again, try to summarize the idea of trying to keep an athlete from wearing themselves out, creating chronic problems. There's a few parts to it that you were saying. There's this business of make sure that you're moving properly. And to some extent, that may require some professional help to help you to know what you're not doing properly. But learn how to move properly so that when you are putting stress on your joints, say, you're doing that well. You're doing that in the way that the machineries was designed. But still, it's a biological system and it needs time to recover. And so do some cross-training. So you're not always doing the same thing. And whether you're cross-training or doing the same thing, you have to leave enough time for recovery. If you're trying to get better, then you have to do that in a periodized way where you're not always trying to get better. You're not always trying to PR. You're going up and down where your peaks are always a little higher, but they're separated by valleys where you're coming off of your hardest efforts, your most wear and tear, and you're letting your biological systems heal up. Did I get that right? I think that's a a good summary. Okay. And so the only other thing that I guess fits into this is like stretching or flexibility type work, which is not really the same as mobility, you know, lengthening of muscle fibers. For me, for example, when I wake up in the morning and I've been immobile for some period of time and I'm pretty stiff, you know, and, and I need to kind of get unstiff. So do you have uh, advice for people on, on how to do that? Should I just, just jump right in and start doing box jumps? I mean, how, how should I get unstiff? I think it depends on what you're trying to do. If you're just looking for a morning routine just to start your day and feel a little bit better yeah. uh, and you're not necessarily preparing for a workout, you know, the way that we typically combine activation work is typically it'll start with a little bit of tissue work. So doing a little bit of foam rolling uh, can be a very helpful way to improving circulation and hydration of tissue. After that, getting into some stretching and activation work can be a very helpful way to reinforce the improvement in elasticity of tissue from doing tissue work. So think of it as like if you're going to do a sequence of, you know, foam rolling your calves a little bit and then going into some calf stretching Mm -hmm. and then going into deep activation during that calf stretching, which is a little bit difficult to describe uh, verbally. Um, But those like that type of a sequence can be a very helpful 
uh, way to, you know, improve the way that you feel throughout the day and improve the way that you perform on a regular basis. Um, and then you can cater that to, you know, where you're feeling stiff. And so for, for a lot of us, it'll be different on different days or depending on, you know, what activity we did the day before. Uh, but, but having, you know, different strategies uh, to check in with your body and then also address tension uh, could be a really helpful thing. So you've, you've kind of referred to three things, or at least in my mind you have. Let, let's try to break them down here quickly because we're going to run out of time. One is this business of just feeling a little better after you've woken up. And then there was the, the business of warming up before you do some sort of exercise. Mm -hmm. And then I'll throw in uh, this third thing, which is perhaps some cool down or stretching after you've done some sort of exercise. What, what are the differences of these things? What roles do they play? The differences in those three activities. Uh, so one, okay. So if you're just waking up in the morning, yeah. if you really want to get into the nitty gritty of what I would recommend to a large group of people without knowing anything about them, it would be to use some slow, light, full body movements to check in with your body and see how things are going. And then from there, you can start to address different tensions that you feel with what I described previously. Some tissue work, some light stretching, some activation. If you're prepping for a workout, the way that that differs from a morning routine, if you're preparing for a workout, it's more of an excitatory routine. So it should be building in neuromotor demands as you go. So we'll usually start with a little bit of tissue work. We'll start with some core activation. We'll go through some dynamic stretching. So some, uh, you know, things like light squats, lunges, jogging back and forth, side shuffling, you know, different things to open up the body and activate the body in motion. Mm -hmm. We'll leverage a lot of stuff like that which would differ from a post-workout or recovery routine in that the recovery routine to kind of get back to some of the breath work that we were talking about. Yeah. This is where we're actually trying to stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system and get things to calm down and set the table for better rest, better recovery, and, and a rebuild towards our next training session. And, you know, this would be a time where I do some, some light tissue work some more static holds. So we're holding positions and stretches for a little bit longer. We're going through slow, deep breathing patterns. And we're really just trying to get things to calm down and kind of come back to balance. I get the calming part as we try to get into recovery as fast as we can. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the stretching, the lengthening of muscle fibers, to some extent, we want to clear out waste product from the metabolism mm -hmm. of having used the muscles. But in terms of helping the muscle, why we stretch the muscle fiber, as an example? Part of that gets back to restoring the body back to a normalized state after demanding something from it. So say we went for a long run or did a lot of box jumps. Yeah, There's going to be tension and tension and overactivation in the calf group, we'll say. Stretching can be an easy way. So it'll be tight. Is that what that means? I mean, to a lay person, is that is it a tight muscle now after I've exercised it? Sure. Yeah, it, it could be. Okay. It, this See, this gets into the nitty gritty of stuff that, you know, we can get into these. This area is very gray. And so 
Yeah. Sometimes stretching can be very, there are a lot of people that I recommend to not stretch certain areas that feel tight, but to do activation in other regions to help reduce that tension. And so this, okay. this is not so much of a black and white or uh, we'll say declarative conversation as I think you or I would like it to be. Um, the rules change based on who's doing the stuff. But yeah. in terms of post-exercise routines, I think what we're trying to do is normalize uh, length tension relationships in muscles. And so, you know, lengthening out muscles that could be overly contracted or overly excited uh, is, is what we would apply stretching to. So just suggesting the bot to the body, a longer state of, you know, uh, length tension relationship for that muscle group, but also stimulating, you know, if we start getting into the conversation of connective tissue and trying to make connective tissue changes in tendons and fascia and these different things, the way that I'll typically yeah. think about things is just like opening up different patterns in the body. And that kind of gets back to, you know, what we would evaluate at the beginning of, you know, an initial consult with an athlete is seeing, hey, where do we need to direct yeah. our attention, you know, in terms of mobility work, post-exercise, pre-exercise, and as a morning routine. Great. And the last question that I have, and, and then I'll just open the floor for anything you'd want to add, is how does pain come into this, you know, when I'm at any of these points in time when I'm just doing some light movement in the morning after waking up or I'm trying to get ready to do some exercise or afterwards, if I'm doing any of these things and I'm having pain as a result, and maybe there's different kinds of pain, you know, like low, dull pain or sharp pain, how, how, how do you advise people to deal with pain, stay away or whatever? It really, <laughs> it's another one of those conversations that really depends. So it depends on if you start with pain when you are attempting a recovery mobility routine. And if you do have pain, hopefully you're being guided by a professional um, on what to do yeah. for that pain. Uh, that's that, that would be my first recommendation. If you have pain that's lasting for more than a week or two, like you should be in to see a trusted sports or athletic minded healthcare professional to help you work through that. Great. When it comes to uh, navigating a recovery process, the escalation of pain from any recovery intervention should be very temporary at most. So foam rolling is not a comfortable process. It is a pain inducing process. But what we hope is that an athlete can differentiate that type of pain and injurious pain, pain that would last or become problematic. And this, this you know, does often require either a, a lot of um, intuition from the athlete or, or, you know, years of working with their own body and, and knowing what they're going to respond to um, so that they have data points or the help of a healthcare prof professional to help guide them in what pain is appropriate. You know, it's, it, it, and this can vary. Um, but I would say, Hey, if you're, if you're doing a stretch routine, so say you're pain free and you decide to start doing a mobility or stretch routine, you should remain pain free. You should not, you know, experience a, a I mean, you might get a little bit sore, uh, from introducing tissue work for the first time, much like you might be sore after a massage, 
but that should not last more than 48 hours at most. And it should not reflect in, you know, escalating sharp pain or anything like that uh, outside of that session of foam rolling, if that makes sense. Awesome. All right. Anything else, uh, Dr. Matt, that you'd want to add here before we wrap up? No, I think that's, uh, I think we've covered it all. Excellent. Well, so give us uh, the high points on how people should find you and Ever Athlete if they had more questions, wanted to follow you and, and the work that you do. Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram at Ever Athlete. Uh, you can check out our website at everathlete.fit. And that's pretty much it. We've got a, a location in Palo Alto, California. So if you want to come see us in person, uh, you know, check out our website and you can contact us there. Uh, but that is, that's really all of the avenues. Excellent. And your website is where people could uh, subscribe and get access to your online programs? Yeah, we've got all the details on there. Fabulous. Well, thank you again. This has been great for uh, session number two and appreciate your help. Thanks so much. It was great talking with you, Joe. Have a great day. All right. Thank you so much for listening in to part two of my discussion with Matthew Smith of EverAthlete about the process of training to avoid injury. You can find more information about Matthew and EverAthlete in the show notes. And while you're there, you can sign up to take a free fitness practices assessment, send us a question to address on the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you're on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That would be great help. 